0: down the phone and lift up your eyes. Open your heart, let conversations arise.
1: Show them that you care, keep screen time in check. Every moment matters. Live your life with Tidy Tech. Welcome to Tidy Tech Podcast
2: where we explore how schools and families are finding balance with real time and digital time through conversations with leaders developing better models of appropriate and healthy digital consumption.
1: Melissa here from TechWise SB in Santa Barbara. Gretchen here from Digitally Wise in Kansas City. Let's get started. Today, we are talking with the founders of Every School, a nonprofit working to address digital wellness in already tech-heavy schools. They believe that every school community needs to embrace this double-edged nature of technology and then commit to embracing digital wellness practices that empower learning, connection, and well-being for every parent, teacher, and student. We are going to talk with Amy Tyson and Blythe Winslow about the resources and research they share with educators, parents, and students. Welcome, Amy and Blythe. Where are you both joining us from today? We're in Cincinnati. We're happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank Thank you you. for being here. So
2: good to have you here, Amy and Blythe. Why don't you start off by telling us a little about yourselves? What led each of you to getting involved in this endeavor? Well,
0: I'll start. This is Blythe, and um, I do have a background in teaching. I used to teach English at the college level, and I loved it. And I also, I just love research. And I think it was the summer of 2018 when I decided to do a digital detox on my five-year-old and eight-year-old because I'd kind of let them use my phone too much for games. And so at that point, um, it was a great experience. We had a a magical summer, and then I was thrown into third-grade parent-teacher night where I learned that the iPad was just going to be a major major kind of focus of the class. So I, I asked the teacher at the end of the class period, how much of the class instructional time would be spent with an iPad. And she said about um, 40 to 50%. So I was a little yeah. bit concerned, and I thought, I'm just going to research this. I'm going to figure out how much the school um, is really using technology in the classroom and why. I talked to the principal, I talked to the director of tech, and I just I just read a lot. Um, And so that led me to realize that there was a, a big misalignment between what was often happening in public schools, including my own, and then what was happening in the research community about what they were learning
3: about ed tech. This is Amy, and my children are a little bit younger than Blythe's. And so I was brought into this when I kind of heard some rumblings in the community about how much time children were using devices. And my background is, I, I'm a ch- I was a child and adolescent therapist for about a decade before I stayed home with my children for a while. And I really, uh, my focus is truly on child development. And I went to a very research heavy graduate program. So that's always been where my mind is at, to look at the data and try to function in my life, especially in my parenting as science-minded as I can. And what I was hearing, what was happening in the community, it didn't align with what I knew to be best for child development and general well-being, but I wasn't quite sure where the data was in terms of academic outcomes. And that's where I started to dive in to see if where that would lead us. And throughout that process, Blythe and I connected and both discovered that we loved the research. And we had uh, two different sides of this, her with the teaching and me with the mental health and child development piece. And we were able to come together to create the EdTech triangle during this process.
0: Yeah, and we did ask our district to make some changes. And I think it, it did work. We did, we did, for example, get um, the kids were using iPads like during recess, if it was raining outside and they had indoor recess, they were allowed to use iPads or they were using it in their free
3: time or they
0: are using it as a re- reward if they finished their regular work. And so we we made those changes and some other changes, and we felt like it was positive, but ultimately Mm -hmm. I do feel like teachers are often asked to know too much on this subject. And it wasn't too long ago that teachers were asked for more tech time. I think that's what our, at least our administrators told us, you know, we we had been a one-to-one district since 2012. Mm -hmm. And um, before 2012, there were a lot of parents who said, where's the tech? You know, where are the screens? We need to prepare our kids for uh, the 21st century workforce. So, um, but I don't think a lot of the research had weighed in yet. So teachers were asked to use this um, device that they didn't really know a lot about um, from a scientific standpoint. So, so again, yeah, we just, we love research and we saw that there's this kind of the gap between implementation and what, um, what the data were showing.
2: Yes, that sounds very familiar to me here in Kansas as well. Um, The time frame for me was about 2018 when I was talking to my then second graders, teachers who were both wonderful. Um, But, you know, it was clear that a little bit different from your experience, Blythe, is that they didn't really they weren't really able to give me an amount of time that they were going to be using it but then Mm -hmm. i realized also there was no guardrail for preventing too much use of it it was just kind of like just something that was never really thought of and so that's very interesting but i'd like to start off um with how melissa and i learned about every school Uh with the parent support group. Melissa and I each organized in our own school districts. We were both seeking an example of some sort of guidelines already in use. We knew we were not the academic pedagogy experts, but thought surely our public schools would have a model in place to ensure that loaded iPads provided to kindergartners or Chromebooks provided to seventh graders would be used with intention and academic purpose. I saw public school as a place where resources, models, measurements, and evaluations were rigorously reviewed prior to use in the classroom. As parents though, Melissa and I both, as we've kind of already talked about here, learned in our respective school districts, hers in California and mine here in Kansas, that was not the case with the digital media devices sold to our administrators as technology. I Mm -hmm. learned about every school as another parent in my Digitally Wise group attended a health presentation given by pediatric physician Dr. Natasha Burgert. So I reached out and was so impressed speaking with you, Blythe, and learning more about every school's approach to address this huge need by educators. The every school model addressed the needs at a very basic level, and it was structured in a way that would be easy for anyone to understand.
0: I'm, I'm glad you feel
1: like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, so, go ahead. I was going to say, um, Blythe and Amy, similar to Gretchen's story, I just wanted to thank you both for what you're doing because I also learned about you guys at a point when our group, our TechWise group, was just in the middle of the throes of advocating for change in our district. And we needed resources. We needed something to stand upon and refer to. We needed something research-based, something that sounded really solid. Um, That was when I sent out the email to our work group in the Screen Time Action Network. And so many different people replied to that email and mentioned every school and the EdTech Triangle, which I had not heard about, um, and in fact, like, that was when you introduced yourself to me and you responded to my email and we met each other through a phone call or a Zoom and mm-hmm. we scheduled a meeting. And it was just so refreshing to hear what you guys have done. And it was so refreshing to also know that you're available to talk with us and you're available mm-hmm. to consult and guide and explain and make this all real. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad that you guys, I'm glad you felt like that. And I I do think that oftentimes the whole process of making change or um, really becoming true innovators, and Amy and I always talk about like the car model, right? When the first car was built, it didn't have seatbelts, it didn't have airbags. And even as as far as into the late 1980s, like many people were upset that seatbelts were um, going to be required as part of the law. And so like, look, we're just in the wild west phase of ed tech. Like anyone who tells you different is just wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, like we don't know what we're doing. Parents, teachers, mm-hmm. administrators, and students included, we have no idea what's going on. And I think all we can do is more ourselves to to the research, and that's scary mm-hmm. because sometimes the research really does go against what you know what teachers and educators have initially put in place. Mm-hmm. I don't think that needs to be a scary or bad thing. I think. Mm-hmm. Research is neutral, right? It's not saying anyone's bad or good. It's just saying this is what it is. So Amy and I tried to create a model that was based in the research. There's, there are other models of tech use in the school. I, one of them is called SAMR, and it was developed, I think, before the iPad was invented. Um, and it was not it's not research-based. There are standards of technology implementation that have been put out by IST the International Society for Technology and Education has put out standards but those are actually somewhat corporate funded right so we don't want we don't want corporate funded i don't think research in our school system in that kind of way when we're talking about spending millions of dollars and hoping that our kids really learn a lot and get something out of these devices so it's, i think it's really important to just look at what the data shell.
2: Yeah, we haven't seen anyone else that has a model that relies on research. And this is so important in combating the trend of schools and districts adopting industry funded tech. Um, Do you want to talk more about how specifically you develop the EdTech Triangle? Or for our listeners, can you visually describe the pyramid and the four areas it covers? Sure. so
3: we ended up breaking technology down into four pieces. Um, we start with disruptive. It's like an inverted triangle. So at the bottom, you have disruptive, which is any technology that disrupts learning or breeds habitual use. Um, above that is restrictive. That's where, we're, where you see technology that's restricting learning outcomes, and, I, and you should be using that sparingly. Above that is supportive. This is where technology supports learning in helpful helpful ways and it should be used in moderation. And and then at the top of the triangle, you have transformative. This is the type of technology that produces unique outcomes and develops high-level skills. And I, I think the key word there is skill. The more you treat technology like it is a unique skill to be learned, to be able to function in a workplace or in a college setting, better your outcomes are going to be as opposed to just integrating technology at any time in any place in any way you can even if it's purely just substitution there are many traditional teaching methods that are that far are far more beneficial um, than incorporating technology I think one of the biggest ones for that is reading you want to talk about reading and yeah
0: yeah I'm really passionate about reading obviously like as as a former english teacher and i just know that the overwhelming research has shown that when kids when kids read in print they're going to test better they're going to comprehend more
3: they're going to retain more
0: yeah and they're also like amazingly they enjoy reading more that's what the research shows so that's something that is really important because i know our our reading overall as a country our reading scores have dropped by quite a bit and so and there's one really great study that, that I love, although it's sad, that shows that it was a fourth grader study, and it showed that the more a fourth grader used a screen for English, you know, the poorer their scores were, basically. So and that really plays out in like all, so many studies, we see that. And that's just like seemingly a harmless integration of technology for a lot of teachers. I think they just think, look. We're going to have stations today. One of the stations is a reading station. And this happened in in my particular district. But, you know, go ahead and read. And if you want, you can use the print books we have, which we have many, or you can just read on an iPad. And it's just, it's too bad that many teachers don't know that if you're going to have those kids read on an iPad, they're going to, again, comprehend less, retain less, and test lower.
3: Than their counterparts who are reading print books. So, and this is problematic all the way from kindergarten up to the twelfth grade. When we uh, collected some data from a parent in our district, and when she was looking at her child's uh, Epic app, I think the child was reading mm-hmm. for twenty minutes, but it touched something like thirty-seven books in that time. That the just the dis- they weren't even able to get through a book, spending you know thirteen seconds in a book. Mm-hmm. The level of distraction for a kindergarten, first, or second grader. On reading on a device, it's just through the roof. It's it's not developmentally appropriate to expect the child at that age to just be able to focus on words on a on a tablet. And then when you look at the higher grades, when you're learning something, when you're when you're trying to understand a challenging subject, the best way to read that is in print. And at this point, there's many high schools who are just all their textbooks are on a device, and mm-hmm. do students a disservice as they approach college and they're struggling with material we, uh, the teacher should be saying to students, if you're struggling with something, if this is hard for you to understand, let's get you the text. Let's start there. Let's get a book in your hands because that's the first step to increasing your comprehension and retention. When we teach our students that this is just the way you need to learn now, this is how it is in the 21st century, mm-hmm. I think it does them a disservice for their own academic outcomes.
0: Right, and that's and that, so that's one pop-out of the EdTech triangle. Mm-hmm. But at the top, mm-hmm. I love about transformative tech because I use Mm -hmm. kind of a tech person in my life and I can you know I know how to create websites I know how to use I was a a photographer for nine years as well so I know how to use like a lot of um, digital software that's really hard to use and so I think we're not really thinking about I think some of the transformative stuff gets overlooked it's like I would love it if my um, my high schoolers or middle schoolers someday learn um, even digital marketing or music editing or video editing, I would love it if they had a class dedicated to to a lot of those um, really high level things like coding or computational thinking. But I think so much of technology in school really is at this point, just again, it's using technology as a delivery method to teach other subjects. And what the research shows is that oftentimes that doesn't work as well as a traditional method.
3: And we should be saving that screen time Mm -hmm. in the schools for the places that you really can get some bang for your buck, where you really are teaching a unique skill that is truly a 21st century skill. The skills we need in the 21st century are problem solving, creativity. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not just, um, able to work a Kindle app. Some of this stuff is almost so simple. Mm -hmm. It's made to be so simple that it doesn't need to be, taught for years upon years, which is also why in in our restrictive category we have, you know, using a using any kind of application repeatedly once it's been mastered, if you know how to take a photo on your iPad, that doesn't need to be a recurring theme for the year that that's now a skill that's been learned. And at some point, it just begins to take away from the lesson.
2: Well, technology is a hugely broad word, um, right? Encompasses anything from a hammer to a microwave, so you know. Really, what we're talking about is digital media. Uh-huh. Um, so anything that you you know use on a on a device that's digital um, that gives you information. Um, so I agree. Yeah, and know, I technology think- is a big buzzword that has certainly benefited those marketing technology <laughs> that. Yeah, tech- I did- I think that's really good to know
0: and I also think it's really interesting to think about how many skills you need um, in, in the 21st century that are tech related that don't actually involve a screen like we know mm-hmm.
2: that
0: coding and computational thinking are really good for your critical thinking skills, but you don't mm-hmm. actually need to learn them at certain levels with a screen, you know, you can teach coding with blocks, if you're going to if mm-hmm. integrate if you wanted to. And those are really Mm -hmm. interesting skills, again, that help with critical thinking and maybe math down the road. But Mm -hmm. we don't don't necessarily need to get an app to teach kids coding. And so I think what happens, though, is it's just the excitement, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the idea that newer is better, Mm -hmm. and flashier is better. And we need to make, we want kids to have fun. But Amy Mm -hmm. and I were talking about this today, and it's just, It's really what it is. It's when you over rely on dopamine in your life, which a lot of things give us dopamine, right? Connecting Mm -hmm. with a friend might release dopamine in our brains. Um, Eating or sleeping might release dopamine in our brains or playing a game on an iPad during school Mm -hmm. would release dopamine Mm -hmm. in our brains. But if we're constantly um, flooding our children's lives with, I would call it like a a dopaminergic rhythm to their life, Mm -hmm. You actually have to get more and more and more to keep their attention. So this is a really interesting thing for teachers to think about. is like, do you really want your classroom to be fireworks all the time? Do you really need it to be fun or, quote, engaging all the time? Or are you setting yourself up for um, not being as exciting? Because then you always have to raise the bar. It really is okay for kids to have stillness and boredom, and they need it. They need to endure it. It leads to things like creativity. That's what the research shows. Mm -hmm. So I don't think educators should worry if they don't have a lesson with technology. They don't have to worry that they're not the fun teacher or they're not exciting enough. Mm -hmm. That's good
2: for students to have that time, right? I think you've articulated that so well. And I think that's something that is often overlooked um i was thinking when you were talking about the coding and you know just when when things are introduced to kids like you know learning like everything is like a scaffolding approach and so you know when do you do you want your second grader doing coding i don't know something better for a fifth grader i mean you know there's a lot of things to think about yeah
1: definitely I think my main concern with you know our district and also my children entering uh, the elementary school system in the next few years, my concern is that disruptive category mm-hmm. that you guys are talking about. and And you've labeled that as the part that can breed habitual use. And that's the piece that I think is either misunderstood or overlooked, or there's not a connection between the majority of parents and educators on that. And I just, I, I have such a um, concern and a sensitivity to this introduction of devices, especially the one-to-one device to young children. And, you know, just starting that relationship with a device at a young age, that also becomes really recreational And then it becomes really hard to stop. And you just look at our own life and it's, it's hard to get off Facebook. It's hard to get off your emails. It's hard to put your phone down when you haven't responded to a bunch of things. And so for kids, I just feel like that habitual piece is so concerning. And I don't know, can you guys speak to some of the things you've, you've researched or you've observed on that habitual piece of technology use?
3: Okay, I think you're, what you're saying is, is exactly right. We have to be really careful about how young we are willing to introduce the digital twitch to our students. When you allow a first grader to um, have a reward of using their iPad when they're done with their work, they're going to rush through their work to get to the iPad. And when whatever they're doing on the iPad, when the draw is just the device itself over what's being done on the iPad, then then you know it's just about the device. This is a it's it's play time. It's not educational time. And so I think when you look at our disruptive category, um I'm sorry, I'm like so distracted now. From the UV. Yeah. <laughs> so like, okay. Totally okay. okay, let's let's stop there. Is there anything else you wanted me to answer on that question, Melissa, or should we move on to the next one? You sorry.
1: can move on. Okay, you can I'm move on. Moving, yeah, okay, yeah, I had a I had
3: a thought and then it was like gone.
1: Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I was ahead.
2: I was just gonna say, you know, I so I've heard from teachers too that you know one of the big game changers with the iPads was all the apps when all the apps were added, and you know mm-hmm. those get added each year to a student's device. And so, you know, we're any any human is going to default to what is most entertaining. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm sitting at my table and I'm trying to read something, but someone's in front of me with some delicious food, of course, I'm going to be distracted and stop what I'm doing. You know, it's just human nature.
3: And with that, I mean, when we're talking about teaching our children 21st century skills, so much of that is managing technology in your life, right? You teaching Mm -hmm. our children, when we pick up technology, when we set it down, when we put on do not disturb, so we can stay focused on our homework. When we pick up a textbook, an actual paper book, rather than trying to read on a screen, all of that, um, it, that that is 21st century skills. Just simply using an iPad is no longer a 21st century skill. We once mm-hmm. thought that was 10 years ago. That's what mm-hmm. what um, why we started the rollout with really no railings to that. But we now know that it goes it goes um, far beyond just simply being able to log into an iPad and use it. And I, yes. know, I know a lot of educators
0: are are thinking like, you know, I, I do teach my kids, students when to use it and when not to use it. And it's, it's incredibly hard to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But again, you just have to be also aware of, you might be teaching students that digital Twitch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, after you're finished with this, you can go ahead and log on to whatever this app is or that app, maybe it's a, a point space learning, like quote learning mm-hmm. game, that does have a lot of dopamine involved in it. And that mm-hmm. Twitch just becomes amplified. Or maybe they're allowed to get on their email, and maybe they're emailing other students in the class, or they're getting onto a Google document, and they're having a conversation with students in the class. It's, it's just, if if as adults, if we don't have really, really clear guidelines that actually work, mm-hmm. then students are going to be left to their own devices. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended, <laughs> right? Truly. Um, so that's what it is.
2: Well, and just, and just having these conversations just you know, as a parent always makes me much more aware of my own, my own self and how I have to model for my kids, you Uh know? So um, I think every conversation talking about our kids also goes back to what, what we're doing as well.
0: It's hard, right? It's hard. I know I have a strong digital twitch because I am on, you know, I'm on a screen quite a lot, um, creating, you know, creating a website or uh, just using a um, software application that's pretty complicated, I have to really think about it. But I always think to myself, two things, one, I'm an adult, right, my brain is fully developed. And I feel so lucky that I was born in 1980 and I had an analog childhood and my brain was allowed to develop and um, like learn how to be still and learn delayed gratification um, in that analog world. And so I feel really lucky And And I also think to myself, one thing I've started to do with my kids because I am on my phone as we all are I kind of narrate it a little bit so they know. I'll be like, mm-hmm. I'm processing that return from Amazon because you didn't mm-hmm. like the dress or mm-hmm. I'm going to go mm-hmm. to work now for an hour on my computer and go do X because I don't know what they think I'm doing, but I know what they're doing on their devices when they do okay. screen time. <laughs> It's not work, right? It's not bill mm-hmm. or things like that. So I think it's important that they know kind of what, what are you really doing on your device? And you do have to mm-hmm. have you do have to have some free time where you're looking up mm-hmm. and you're not looking down at your phone. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I do the same thing, um, Blythe, with oh, yeah. the narrating of what I'm doing. I really do almost every day because I have, partially because I have such a guilt of giving my attention to a screen, especially yeah. if I'm in front of the family, but also this intentional piece of I want them to know I'm purposely doing something. So I'm constantly doing the same thing. And I'm yes, saying, you guys, I just need to check this email. Remember I told you I was trying to finish an email? I'm going to go on and I'm going to finish it. Or, you know, I'll say, well, let's check the weather today. And then, you know, let's just check the weather. That's all we're doing. And then we're going to put it back down. And so it's very, um, yeah, narrating is is exactly what I do as well. And that helps me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the word? It helps me stay um accountable to myself if I'm saying it out loud, because I'm doing what I'm saying. And it's really easy to sneak in something else. But um, I I I do find it helpful. I think it's so helpful. Yeah, Yeah. I know Amy doesn't look
0: at her phone probably as much as I do, but um, or a device. So
3: well, I also was thinking, I think it's very helpful, actually, just in any relationship, even I think we've probably all been in that situation where your spouse is across the table from you and they are suddenly pick up their phone and, and you have no idea what they're doing. But it, even if they just <laughs> say out loud, like, oh, I got this email from work, I'm going to just really quick respond. It just makes you feel like you're you're together, like they haven't disappeared. Communication.
2: Yes. You yeah. know, and
3: and, right. and it's so easy when you're looking at your device, you know, you're doing something productive or not, but you at least know what you're doing. But I think we sometimes assume the worst when somebody else is looking at a device. And whether you're at dinner with a friend you say, oh, my phone just buzzed, um, I might be the babysitter, let me just take a quick peek or wh- whatever that is. I think communicating that just keeps everybody on the same page and not feeling ignored. The tricky thing, we get asked about screen time recommendations a lot. And this is a really tricky question because you have to really synthesize data from many, many fields and sources in order to come up with any kind of vague idea of what may be best. And that's hard to do because this is such a nuanced uh, topic, right? So we do in our edtech triangle have screen time recommendations based on the limited amount of data that's out there on any, that gives you any kind of specific number. I mean, in general, when you look at this information on limits on devices, less is more. Generally speaking, but but how much less, and where is that threshold, and when does when do you tip into it becoming quote unquote you know quote bad, and it's in that that isn't a clear cut answer. So what we know is especially during a well, what we know is that face to face time is meaningful, connection when you're making eye contact is meaningful, direct instruction really works. We know the data out there that uh, a one to one device. You're actually losing educational time each year That's it, it affects your academic outcomes negatively while having a teacher directly instructing you is increasing your academic outcomes. And that's the research from? John Hattie. Yes, right. he has a great book, Visible Learning, mm-hmm. with a meta-analysis of, I believe it's um, 800 studies and, mm-hmm. yeah, 800 studies related to achievement in the classroom. And that's a, a wonderful book if you want to get through something that's a little weighty, but-
0: Tell, Tell us what
3: called in the classroom.
0: It's called Visible Learning. Visible
3: Learning by John Hattie, H-A-T-T-I-E. So according to Hattie, um, teacher-directed mm-hmm. instruction is shown to produce above average results, which means more than a year's growth during one year of school, while typical uses of technology in the classroom like a one-to-one laptop program or web-based learning tend to lead, uh, yield less positive results, which would be less than one year's growth during that one year of school
0: which, is really, which wow. is really interesting and hardcore. I mean, it's hardcore data, mm-hmm. because obviously, so many districts spend millions of dollars. And mm-hmm. they're thinking this is, this is going to yeah. enrich things, right? And this is going to um, increase test scores or increase engagement. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that data is there, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot more data that show that in many cases, this can yield negative results. So when we developed the edtech triangle, what we wanted to do was obviously, we don't think all technology is bad. Um, I'm a huge tech consumer and tech creator, really. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but it's obviously not all created equal. And so we wanted to create a model that was protective, right? We don't, we wanna be, it's, I believe it's better to be safe than sorry. There's not all the data has come in. In 10 years, we'll have different data maybe the edtech triangle will look totally different. Just like the food pyramid, like has changed, mm-hmm. right? Like, we all thought it was really funny in the 1950s, when wasn't the food pyramid, mainly comprised of a, just a bunch of meat. right? <laughs> <And> now, <laughs> interestingly enough, like, interestingly enough, like, if you look at like keto diets and stuff, it's still comprised of a bunch of meat for some people. But the mm-hmm. point is, is that models evolve, and they change. Mm-hmm. And what we deem innovative today, we will not deem innovative later. But as of right now, as of right now, the data show that you have to be really careful. You have to be really careful about using technology in a classroom or else you compromise, you can possibly compromise focus, test scores, um, well-being, even empathy, creativity, and just overall engagement. So that's where, that's what we're looking at It's just, Trying to be careful, so we've created a model that helps teachers be careful and look and and have a nod to the research while still being able to create lesson plans in ways that they want. Right? We don't want to tell teachers how to teach. I believe they can teach how they want, but these are this is a great filter to filter their plan, their lesson yes. plans.
2: You know, um, something else that was brought to mind when. You say that models change. The other thing that I have noticed over the years that has changed is the message about why um, why our schools have had oh. the one-to-one. It's, you mentioned t- improving test scores and uh-huh. engagement. And we've also heard um, that it was necessary in order to have 21st century skills. Uh-huh. And m- most lately, so it, it, it the message keeps evolving almost like I'm like, Okay, is the tech industry giving, uh-huh. feeding this, feeding this message? I don't know, but um, currently it's about equity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, and I don't see that that's necessarily the case either. It just—I don't know. It's um, well, seems like we have pushed everything to one to one side to make it excessive and of trying to find a balance obviously there are
0: equity issues here like a lot of um impoverished students do not have access to the internet for example and i don't think right. i think we need that and obviously it's not access to the internet that is causing the problem here right mm-hmm. and so we need to get kids from all walks of life everyone everyone should have access to the, the internet i think in today's day and age right, right? Um, at the same time, we do know that um, students, um, low-income students, oftentimes see more recreational screen time in their homes. And mm-hmm. that recreational screen time is um, related to things like obesity, anxiety, and depression. Mm-hmm. It is related to, I'm not saying it's, co- it's causing that, right, right. It's, it correlates. So I think we need to be really careful when we talk about equity is we need to understand that these low-income students or minority students that we're concerned about are actually at an increased risk for screen Mm -hmm. time um, issues. So screens in the classroom, I think, should be used even more carefully if we're going to look through a lens of equity.
1: That's the message that our group, our TechWise group, um, particularly backed by the medical professionals and the doctors Mm -hmm. and the pediatricians really took was talking about the actual disproportionality that exists Mm -hmm. among different populations and how in their practices they are seeing higher screen time recreationally, higher overall screen time on iPads, Mm -hmm. higher rates of obesity, higher rates of prediabetes among specific populations of kids. And so that's kind of guiding us back to the equity issue of we can't just necessarily give devices to everyone um, without the educational piece and the awareness piece, because what you do with the device is different per family and per household. Mm -hmm. And so that the equity piece has become a really big issue. Um, But our pediatricians have been using that to get the attention of the school district like it's it is equity. Actually, there's inequity happening, um, which is just fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is fascinating. It's it's ultimately unfortunate, right? It is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And I just I think we also can look at schools that don't use technology. We can ask ourselves, what are are their outcomes? Right. Like Mm -hmm. when we look at schools like Waldorf schools that don't have a lot of technology until the eighth grade and and we know that that they're doing fine. The Waldorf kids are are doing really well when it comes to academic outcomes. So, we can really rest assured that like if a kid doesn't get a lot of time on a device in school, that is not going to hurt them. That is not mm-hmm. going to hurt them. And we know that kids get a lot of device time probably in their home life. That's a safe assumption. So, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite books is Screen School. By Joe Clement and Matt Miles. And that's one of the most powerful parts of the book where he just said, try and name a hundred things that you think kids need today. And then look at that list and ask yourself, is is screen time on the list or more screen time on the list? And it's just it's just not. I don't think it would be on anyone's list.
1: I love that you just pointed that out because when we interviewed Dr. Richard Freed, he alluded to the same exact Part of screen mm-hmm. school and talked about this same exact point that you just made. It's and really we will powerful. be
2: interviewing those authors too. It's
0: mm-hmm. really powerful, and I think we we do have to ask ourselves in an educational setting why why is it always about more? It seems like that's been a little bit of the thread. It's like, you know, I've I've heard of superintendents telling their educators, you know, try and use this device as much as possible, or use it at least sixty percent of instructional time. And I'm wondering like. <laughs> I have a hunch that a lot of this is, mo- is motivated by just trying to get, trying to get your money's worth and really truly believing that this is, this is innovative and this is going to help outcomes and test scores. But I, I also just think it comes from really, it comes from an enthusiasm that is kind of is mostly blind, you know, blind at this point. And so what we don't need is blind enthusiasm. What we need is a measured, like research based approach. That's what's going to help kids. And I think it's going to help teachers and educators, too, because I think teachers and educators are feeling the effects of um, kids who are often like dysregulated, not as focused and mm-hmm. aren't performing as well um, mm-hmm. because of some of the haphazard
3: device use. Mm-hmm. I think the other important thing to note, too, is at times right now, we're putting the cart before the horse. We're introducing iPads in kindergarten and access to Safari and YouTube either then or shortly thereafter before we've ever been able to introduce a a thorough digital literacy curriculum. Right. I think a good rule of thumb when you're looking at what technology to incorporate or what media to incorporate in your classroom or in your school is to first take your cues from development, from child development, and say – can I have my kindergartner understand this acceptable use policy, and would they know what it would what to do if they saw a bad picture online, and mm-hmm. um, whatever those questions you're going to ask yourself, and then say, okay, if the answer is no, they're not there yet. Then then we need to push back the, this particular application to a later grade when we can answer yes to those questions.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. that onus was put on my my kids when they were. Young, I mean, because that's that's how the district handled that. You know, there wasn't any responsibility laid out as far as what the teacher or the school district was responsible for. It was this uh-huh. is what the student is responsible for. And that's just not realistic. I love yeah. how you're talking about the scaffolding approach to educating and what's appropriate developmentally.
3: We seem to lose track of that a lot. And I I find that the most in the lower grades, even with our expectation of kindergartners to sit in a desk and the amount of curriculum time that they need and the lack of movement. And sometimes we hear that that's why iPads are incorporated. You know, it allows a teacher to work with a small group of students in person while another Mm -hmm. group of students is working on something, you know, quote unquote, educational. But maybe Mm -hmm. we're just asking the wrong things of those students. If... You know, if we have to put something in place to make it so that they're doing something they wouldn't naturally be doing, then then we're looking at the wrong solution in that situation.
2: I think, too, um, you know, as, as a bigger picture with adults as well is that um, the nature of all this has kind of shifted us to have to... Um, really look about at how we simplify and how we curate things for ourselves because there's just so much uh-huh. um, information out there and so much access. Um, you know, that's that's why that's with hard. my yeah, own yeah, kids, I, I mm-hmm. heavily curated their personal iPads that they got when they were in first grade because I knew that, you know, even if there was an educational app on there. That's not probably what they were going to go to <laughs> if there were mm-hmm. other things that were just entertaining. Um, and but, but, you know, this is something we have to do for ourselves as well. And I, I do think that there's I've, I've read and I think that some of the books that are out there right now about how to, you know, change your habits and how to simplify are are very needed. No, I agree. Yeah. I think we
0: put out a newsletter recently on that, the power of subtraction, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. subtraction is this concept that is often overlooked in a lot of corporate settings, or like innovative settings, where you're you're just trying to do something better. And sometimes if you just take something away, it's amazing Mm -hmm. what what can happen. Um, I, I believe that I mean, this is getting a little bit philosophical, but I do believe that a lot of humans today struggle with anxiety especially and depression Mm -hmm. because we're just so so removed from what it what it is or what it was to be like just a person existing in the world and by that Mm -hmm. i kind of mean an animal and and so Mm -hmm. i do think we just we all need more outside time we all need more social time with each other that's Mm how um you know that's how our species was designed to thrive through those human connections and through being outside, and at this point in this iteration of technology in school, it's really kind of the opposite of a lot of those things that we need, yes. right?
2: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
0: that sounds really hippie, right? Mm-hmm. And, but it's, I just think it's, it's true. If you struggle with anxiety or depression, you need to get mm-hmm. out more, you know, probably outside. Mm-hmm. You probably need mm-hmm. to talk to more people, and it's probably best if you get off your device.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like what um, you said a little while ago, too, just about the uh, growing up in a different era than the mm -hmm. current day we live in and how we naturally were exposed to downtime and boredom and being creative and just the environment that those of us (laughs) from a few decades ago grew up in we learned that very naturally. We were forced to learn it because there wasn't as much stimulation at the touch of our fingertips from a device like there is today. And so I wonder if or what it would look like in a classroom if a teacher was able to incorporate that back into their classroom and how I imagine how frustrating it would also be because, you know, we're not used to that anymore. We're used to rotations. We're used to tools that we can rely on, but what would it look like to incorporate that boredom and that creativity? That would be really motivating um, to, to see happen in a classroom again.
3: Well, I think we, we have that in our country and Waldorf schools. Um, that's mm-hmm. what we've chosen to send our children. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in Waldorf education at all. Mm-hmm. I have no training as a Waldorf teacher, but I have the experience of having my children in a Waldorf school and and when there's moments of downtime and boredom, they do something like, you know, make models with beeswax, which increases your fine motor skills and allows for you to just kind of daydream while you move your hands around and create something really beautiful and yeah, sustainable. I think,
2: can- this is a, I think this is a time of, um, I encourage people to be a little counterculture to really embrace that because I don't, I think that. Even myself, that's not been something that's kind of been a new thing to me. And, you know, trying something different and kind of just taking a few steps back and not maybe doing what the status quo is.
0: Yeah, I think I think the pendulum is swinging. I mean, I think a lot of these things do sound counterculture. But again, I just think they're foundational to being a person, right? Making (laughs) something with your hands, going on a walk, getting sunshine and like talking to a friend. That's really what human development, right? Like psychology research shows that we all need. So it's not it doesn't have to be have a flavor to it. We can call it counterculture or we can call it um, hippie or whatever we want to call it. But it's really just it's what a lot of us need. It's I know, in our, yeah, and I know in our district, they just put out a survey, and 47% of the high school students felt like they had um, major anxiety.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: that's 47%. And that is that's insanely high, we really have to ask ourselves,
2: mm-hmm.
0: if we look at, um, like, suicide rates among young girls, I know from 2007 to 2017, you know, the increase was there was a triple it was
3: yeah,
0: 300% increase in suicides for those young girls. And that's so sad. And it's just obviously a lot of a lot of kids um, don't know how to regulate their systems. They don't they feel overwhelmed a lot of the time. And I don't think that would be the case. Again, if if we were intentional about digital wellness, and, and that's and obviously that's why we created every school because we really think it can help with the current mental health crisis.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where are you guys now? Is there anything new you want to talk about or how you're feeling things are going so far this summer?
0: Oh, yeah. So as far as every school goes, um, we're really excited because we really, we love Dr. Megan Owens, who wrote Spoiled Right, a great book. And she had wanted to she had wanted us to write basically a research essay on the ed tech triangle. So it could be used in like in a college setting to the teach. Theoretical model. Yeah. As a theoretical model to teach teachers. But um, Amy and I are super busy. Amy just gave birth to her fourth child a year ago. And I do so much as well for every school and I have a family, young family. So we asked her if she would, um, she would basically you know co-author it with us because we needed help so we're going to work on that in the fall and i think if we have yeah. that that like that essay out there right in the mm-hmm. research world it can a lot of new teachers can come into the profession knowing about the EdTech triangle and wanting to use it but beyond that um we've created a new thing called um po groups and that stands for parents of every school and they're basically just digital wellness support groups within a school community um just like a PTO group but um, it's focused on digital wellness and it'll help parents just talk about this issue again I, I think so many people don't talk or engage enough socially and this mm-hmm. is an important issue so we need to get parents talking about what's going on in their own homes like what are they what are they upset about or concerned about mm-hmm. or confused about and then what solutions have they seen and what mm-hmm. solutions have they used? because there's a lot of shame around this issue. There's a lot of shame around, well, how much screen time do you let your kids have? And, Mm -hmm. um, I I would love for PO groups to be a place where anyone, no matter how they interact with screens can feel like I can go there and get help and get support and learn more about how to live in better balance with screens in my life. And so we're really excited that after launching that program about, um, so I think it's eight. Eight parents have registered so far, and we have four who are in the process of registering their group. Mm-hmm. So I hope in a year's time there'll be fifty or a hundred groups, mm-hmm. and across the country, who are just interested in connecting with their school communities and making them happier and healthier and smarter places with digital wellness.
2: I think that's a great idea. I didn't really find a lot of support at my school but what I found out was that other schools in my district there was so Mm -hmm. sometimes you even have to step outside of you know your comfort zone or the group that you're in or the school that you're in and go a little bit further so I really encourage parents to um, look into that. Yeah I think it's they're easy groups
0: to start and you don't need to be really a tech expert or a parenting expert it's just about being a facilitator and and helping people come together around this issue but how we envision these po groups parents of every school groups being is we in, we envision them being started by a parent and led by a parent but maybe facilitated or um helped help with with maybe an administrator maybe having just a liaison like a principal or um, a counselor who might come to a meeting here or there mm-hmm. or maybe you give a summary um the parent, would give a summary to the principal about here's what we're doing in our in our parents of every school group, and here are some of the topics we've discussed, so that there's some communication with the district. Because I think obviously administrators and teachers they're dealing with so many tech-based behavioral issues that happen at home, and then that carries into the school day. And so they're really overwhelmed and burned by it. And so if I believe that if educators had parents who are better educated on digital wellness their jobs would be so much easier
2: yeah so i think
0: it's really about everyone
2: working together well thank you anne and blythe oh, We thanks really for appreciate having you. your time today and look was fun. forward to following your next endeavor thank you so much for providing us all with something so useful that both parents and educators are searching for
1: is there one lesson that every school has learned that you can pass on to the rest of us today or perhaps one final tidy tech takeaway to leave us with
0: one lesson that we've learned, I think is that I think we're all in this together. That's the biggest thing is that oftentimes even when we send our kids a a sleepover, we want to think like, well, what are they doing with technology over there? They're probably using it incorrectly or they don't have filters on their device, but, but, or when we send our kids to school, sometimes it's easy to be adversarial with a teacher and say, like, I don't like the way they're using technology or maybe to even be upset with yourself. I don't like the way I'm using technology. But really, I think we need to have a lot of compassion for, for everyone involved, right? All stakeholders that this is something that we've all been thrown into. It's actually quite uncomfortable a lot of the time. It's not really fun to be tied to your device or have your children tied to their devices or have your students tied to their devices in a negative way. This isn't always fun and so i think we have to to come together in the most positive way that we can and try and support mm-hmm. each other i know that that sounds nice doesn't it, it sounds
1: lovely it sounds wonderful <laughs> it sounds amazing yeah. <laughs> it's that spirit of collaboration we need Thank to talk you. to each other more yeah mm-hmm.
2: Thank you so much. Parents, caregivers, teachers, administrators, physicians, we thank you for modeling what you want to see in the world and listening to us at Tidy Tech Podcast. We hope we provided some new insight and thought-provoking dialogue. But most of all, we'd like to leave you feeling supported and optimistic in what your important work with our most important people of the future.
1: Thank you, Blythe and Amy, so much. It was so amazing to chat with you guys today. It was fun, we had fun.
3: Yes, we did.
2: Put down the phone and lift
0: up your eyes. Open your heart, let conversations
1: arise. Show them that you care. Keep screen time in check. Every moment matters.
3: Live your life with tidy tech.